right. Welcome, everyone, to KPC's weekly podcast, Digging Deeper, February 25th, post-Oscar edition. Today, we won't be handing out any awards, but we will be digging deep into the Word of God, hopefully very deep, and we invite you along for the journey today as we take a look at 2 Kings chapter 5, which is a real standalone story in uh, in the book of Kings. It is the life of, as we like to say in the South, Naaman, um, as you'd say anywhere else in the world, Naaman, which would be his better Hebrew name. But this is the, the story of Naaman the leper, or Naaman the leper. Um, invite you to read it at home. Trust me, it is a very interesting read. Uh, you will really enjoy it. it it's, a, it's just a story with a lot of action, a lot of glory, a little bit of intrigue and deceit along the way. Um, but in short, it is the overall uh, just heartbeat of this passage is the heart of God. Um, the goodness, the love, um, the pursuit of God for people. And uh, Naaman is a man who is, as we pointed out yesterday in the sermon, he is an outsider to Israel. He's from Syria. He's the commander of an enemy army. And yet God has been with him in years past, giving him victory. And God in this chapter is just calling him. Um, He's calling him to himself. And what God will do in the story, um, as you read it, is um, God will not only heal Naaman of his leprosy, but God will absolutely lead him into salvation. Yeah, so God saves his soul by the very end. Um, so Jane and I were kicking it around just a little bit, and we thought that one cool way to go through this today would be just to look at the individuals in the story because there are um, one, two, three, four, five, six. There are seven actors in this story, and each one of them are very different. They play a very different role But in a sense, every one of them are responding to God in some way. So, uh, Jane, you ready? Mm -hmm. Ready for action? Yep. Okay. This is a Monday afternoon when um, naps are often taken, but the rain has stopped here in Virginia Beach. So this is one case where rainy days and Mondays don't get us down (laughs) because the sun is finally shining after a week around here. So here we go. Great aside there. Um, okay, the first character in the story that we meet is Naaman, who is the commander of the armies of Aram, and Scripture is careful to point out that he has been victorious in the past. He is highly regarded uh, by his king just for his prowess and his ability, but Second uh, king, uh, Kings lets us in on the secret of his success, and it is that the Lord was with him in times past giving him victory. Yeah, well, why? I mean, talk about that for a second. Yeah, let's let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> yeah, the the idea, first of all, of God giving, um, God lending aid, God helping someone who is an outsider and a threat to his people to be victorious. That doesn't often fit inside of an evangelical theology. You know, the God is for us, God is with us only theology. So what do we make of that? That he's not just for his. Well, I mean, I think it gets, we talked about this, I think, didn't we, in another podcast? That um, just the idea that we're all children of God, 
you know, Naaman was his was his child. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. I think it recaptures this idea that um, God is at work in the hearts and lives of people across the board in all kinds of religions and cultures, drawing them to himself. I mean, um, uh, any talent any human being has on this earth, any any uh, intelligence, it is from the Lord God. And so the idea that God is with someone out on the outside should not be foreign. Um, you know, it may be an outgrowth of, of you know, kind of an us-only theology. But, um, I mean, biblical God is with and for a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. And here he is at work in this guy's life, mm-hmm. a Syrian. Um, so, uh, so God is with Naaman, but the, the sense here is that Naaman is not aware that God is with him at all. You know, whether he attributes it to himself or, you know, oh, the stars align in my favor. Naaman is completely unaware of God unless he's heard the whisperings of Yahweh, you know, on the street. Um, but there is a dilemma in his life that drives him to God. I mean, it literally forces him that way. And it's that he's got this affliction of leprosy. So that's, that's Naaman's setup. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have, um, really, God begins to step into the, the story in that um, the Arameans are sending out raiding parties. And we have no idea whether or not any of those go into Israel. But um, one of the raiding parties kidnaps, basically as a spoil of war, a young girl. And the girl happens to be an Israelite. Um, An Israelite who has a very living faith in God. And so, um, you know, you really see God at work because um, the girl ends up of all places in Naaman's house as a servant to his wife. So this poor girl is, she's an Israelite. She's captured in a foreign country and she's a, a forced servant. Um, but one day in the course of life with Naaman's family, she says to his wife, hey, we've got a cure for leprosy in Israel and it's the Lord. If Naaman goes to our prophet, our prophet will heal him. Um, so mm-hmm. What about this girl? I mean, what do you think here with her? Yeah, it's just, it's interesting that she's in such, um, I think what we would all consider just terrible circumstances. It it reminds me of, you know, Joseph, you know, being captured, you know, forced to be a a servant and yet still serving the Lord, still with the living, vibrant faith. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. She really is a Joseph-like character, Mm -hmm. and here she is in dire circumstances, and She's a, a billboard for God. You know, God can do this. God can do that. Urging um, him to get over there. That's, yeah, that's really cool. Um, you continue to see God at work because I find what happens next to be the most improbable part of the story. And to me, it's proof that God's working because she tells Naaman's wife and then Naaman's wife tells Naaman about this and he believes her which is incredible to me because there's no cure for leprosy. Who's ever heard of anybody in that day and time being cured of leprosy? This would sound outlandish, crazy. I mean, I I think it would be like someone saying to one of us, hey, you know, if you go talk to Madam Thompson across the street, she'll read your your fortune and tell you your future. We'd laugh it off. You would think name this would sound like ridiculous, 
hyper-religious garbage, and he, he would just dismiss it, but he believes her. And he goes and tells the king of Aram, and the king of Aram believes it. I mean, so much that he writes a royal letter to the king of Israel saying, hey, make this connection. Right. My servant needs healing. So just, just the fact that Naaman and the, this pagan king, the girl has instant credibility. They believe her, and they go to such lengths, you know, with the letter, and he goes off with treasure, uh, you know, seeking to be healed. He's got an offering or a payment or whatever it is in their minds. I wonder, though, with the king of Aram, if it just speaks more to how he felt about Naaman, you know, just that uh, Naaman was important and valuable to him, and he wanted to, well, he was willing to do whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know, it's just a thought. Yeah, like a, a desperate thought for somebody you love, you know. Um, you know, you think about someone who's got a fatal terminal disease, let's go down to Mexico for a miracle cure, sounds crazy to the world, but out of desperation and love, they do it. Sure. It could be like that. But, uh, yeah, Naaman goes. And, um, th- you know, so, so it's like faith is building, God is moving. You've got uh, at least a couple of real outsiders in the king and Naaman, these pagans pointed in God's direction. This servant girl is a part of what God is doing. And then we get to the king of Israel. You know, the letter gets to him. And, you know, he, he reads it and instead of, um, you know, hey, yeah, I, I guess God can do this. Um, you know, searching the scripture, searching his heart, there being some shred of, hey, let's do this. I've got some faith um, in God and his power, or even remembering Elisha. Mm-hmm. Um, the king of Israel tears his clothes, tears his robes, and begins to wail and personalize it. You know, I can't do this. I'm not God. I can't heal. I can't raise the dead. This whole thing's a trap. This is just the king of Aram trying to trick me so he has an excuse for war. As if, and this just shows you the logic, as if the king of Aram, which is one of the most powerful nations, so much more powerful than Israel, even needs an excuse. But that's the king's conclusion. Right. Um, And it's just, I, I found myself a bit heartbroken when I got here because here is somebody on God's side you know, within God's territory, and his first reaction is fear. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, mean, I mean, for me, um, I did think about all those times in ministry and in life when something happens that is, you know, it hasn't even worked itself out yet, and I'm thinking the worst. Or mm-hmm. I could stop and pray and get my heart right and get, you know, invite the Lord into the situation, but I've thought about I just thought about all those times I react in fear mm-hmm. or assume the worst as a child of God. Yeah. It, it's hard. It was hard for me not to make that connection. Yeah. Yeah, I think his reaction was definitely driven by fear. And, which I mean, I don't know if you want to draw conclusions now or are we just walking through the story and come back. I think it's whatever you want to do. Why don't we just keep going through all the okay. characters and then we'll come back. Okay, so um, <laughs> then Elisha the prophet hears about this. I mean, I imagine somebody from the court went over to his house and told him the situation. But Elisha, here's what happened. A letter came 
requesting healing prayer or whatever it is you Israelites do, and the king has reacted that way. And Elisha rebukes the king. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the king's got all kind of power. The king could end his life. But uh, Elisha, in, with absolute courage, just confronts him. And I love his line, you know, you send that guy to me, and he will know that there is a prophet mm-hmm. in Israel. Does Elisha actually go to the king, or does he send a servant to tell him? That's a great question. I don't have the passage in front of me. Um, but uh, e- either way, he either goes in person or right. sends word. I mean, it's not, it doesn't really I th- matter. I think, I guess, I think he, he says he sends somebody. So, yeah. But it's, send the guy over here, and we'll, I'll show him there's a, there's a prophet. Yeah. So... Um, Okay, so, so we, we have that. And then finally, Naaman makes his way to Elisha's house. And this one's really interesting. Naaman goes to Elisha's house, and it's very clear in the passage that he expects to be treated like a very important man, you know, an important dignitary, someone of great prestige. I mean, you know, there, there, sins to, there, there tends to, to be that, um, there's just that sense that, this guy is obviously a great prophet, but he's beneath someone of my stature. He's going to come out. He's going to pronounce. He'll wave his hand over me. I'll be cured. And instead, Elisha just sends word to him. You know, just go wash him sends him a note. Yeah. Yeah. Go to the Jordan River, right. dip yourself in it seven times, and you'll be healed. And, um, and Naaman is outraged by it. And, he, I mean, you know, Aren't our waters better than the waters of Israel? You know, how dare this man stay behind closed doors when I'm outside? Send me a message like this. And and he walks away, and he fully intends on never coming back. He's going to make his way back to Aram, and his servants stop him and just say, look, if, if this prophet of Israel, this Elisha, if he would have told you to do something great, you would have done it. Hmm. Okay, he told you to do something simple. Please, and they even call him my, our father, you know, ultimate respect. Mm. Appealing to that giant ego, you know, my father go down into the waters, just obey the man of God. And finally Naaman does. He steps away from his pride and his clothes, goes down into the water seven times, and he's healed. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so the story ends up, uh, it kind of wraps up from there with... Um, Naaman offering Elisha, actually begging Elisha to take gifts, does it multiple times. Elisha says, I won't accept a thing. Uh, Naaman goes away. And then we have that little twist at the end where he has a servant. Elisha has a servant named Gehazi who is kind of like Wormtongue from from the Two Towers. And um, he secretly sneaks off after Naaman. Um, and, And I think his line is, you know, my, my master is letting this man go too easily. I will go and get from him some of what he brought to Elisha. And so Gehazi goes in the name of Elisha and just lies. Um, hey, a couple prophets just showed up from the hill country of Ephraim. And, um, you know, my master said they, they, they could use some of the clothing you've bought. Um, you know, you've got gold and silver. Uh, can, can they just have a few shekels here of silver? And um, Naaman, of course, he's full of gratitude. He does nothing wrong here. He gives, um, you know, he, he gives them yeah. some money, and then Gehazi has a chance to, to make it right. Yeah. When Elisha asks him directly, he maintains the lie. 
And there's a complete trading places at the end where Naaman, who is this pagan, um, leprous, enemy outsider of Israel and God, he walks away whole, saved. He's now a devout follower of God. I left that out in my recap. Um, you know, he, now he will worship no other God but, right. the, but the God of Israel. Now he knows there's no other God but the God of Israel. So he's wholeheartedly um, this follower of God. And Gehazi, mm-hmm. who begins as a follower of God in ministry, apprenticed to arguably one of the top two or three prophets in all of Israel through deceit, duplicity, dishonesty, um, he is now afflicted with leprosy out of ministry, um, and he's on that slow death mm-hmm. march of, of leprosy. So those are the kind of the characters, yeah. and every one of them is so complex and so different in the story. Yeah. But um, I don't know, any reflections? Yeah, I mean, several. I think I really identify with Naaman's um, journey, you know, starting out with a lot of hope and faith. I'm sure that he had a lot of hope or else he wouldn't have made this journey. You know, I think he, like you said, he believed the servant girl at least enough to request, you know, send me, you know, to Israel to, to get healed. And um, so he, he, he had enough faith to do that. But I'm sure he probably had a lot of hope. Sorry, that was <laughs> my phone. Um, I'm sure he had enough faith to, or hope, you know, to, to start the journey. But it's interesting because um, he, he hits, you know, a speed bump of, if that's what you want to call it, of, you know, Elisha not responding the way he wants him to respond. And it's like, forget it. I'm out of here. You know, and I think I really identify with that. Just that... I mean, get at you reach a point where, I don't know if it's pride or fear like it was with the king... Um, of Israel, his response to being up here. But, you know, you, you, you start off with what you believe is a word from the Lord, you know, uh, some hope that you have in a situation. I've got this hope. And so you you go on this journey, you know, emotional journey, mental journey, whatever, physical journey. You go on this journey believing for something, and then you hit a road bump, and it's like, forget it. I'm I'm out. Um, I, I just wonder how much of that was pride in him. I mean, I think a lot of it was pride and how much of it was look, like, look, I've made this journey. I've got all this stuff. I went to the king. The king was like, forget. So that was really his first kind of road bump, you know, was he goes to the king of Israel and the king of Israel freaks out <laughs> on him, you know. So he's like, you know, it doesn't say what Naaman was doing then, but the king was like, I can't heal you. I can't cure you. So that was, you know, the first response he got. And then he gets word from Elisha, go. And so he goes to Elisha and, you know, um, and then it's go, go. You know, he didn't get the response he wanted or he felt was right or he felt he deserved or the answer that he was looking for. 
he got a, a different answer. Yeah, because that, that's certainly an issue here. I mean, you're right. Whether, you know, perhaps it wasn't pride, it was just what we encounter a lot of times in the Christian life, which is we have an expectation. The expectation might be based on the prayers of people or the advice of a pastor um, or, you know, someone we respect spiritually. You know, it could be a promise in the Word of God, but we build up an expectation and then it doesn't happen the way we think it's going to or in the timing that we think it should. And disappointment with God is definitely part of this in some way. I didn't point that out because, um, frankly, I didn't think about it to right now. But, you know, that anger reaction um, could be the disappointment we often face. You know, man, I thought God was going to come through. You know, my deadline was Wednesday. It's Thursday morning. Here I am and nothing has changed. Yeah. And yet by the end of the story, oh my gosh, God has been so faithful. Right. But, you know, that's, uh, that's a very, very common thing. I think a lot of times people walk away from the church and God for that very reason, you yeah. know, just let me down. I pray. Right. I didn't. I, I didn't get what I was looking for, um, but he had good men in his life that were not going to let him just walk away. And that's where I feel like Naaman. You see his true character because he listened to them. Yeah, and he repented. You know, he went and did what. Elisha told him to do, and he was healed. So that's where I, th- I think, you know, and that that's, that's what really gives me so much encouragement in this story is that oftentimes, for me at least, my first reaction is just that. It's a reaction. But if you can get to what's, you know, get d- deeper down, you know, go, go, go beneath that first reaction to what's really there and and follow that, follow that, that the Holy Spirit there, then um, we end up where we're supposed to be. Yeah, and isn't it so cool that, you know, Naaman's reaction doesn't ruin the story? Yeah, no. You know, it, it's like, you know, it's not like God goes, oh, well, okay, you didn't do exactly what I said right this second. But his reaction doesn't destroy the work of God. Um, you know, God's like, okay, you reacted but I'm still going to give you a chance to respond. And he does that. And I just, I thank God for those servants, you know? I mean, their part is so small. They're, they're, they're like one sentence of the whole chapter, but them just begging, please listen to the man of God. And it just made me really thankful for people like that in my life and made me want to be that person, you know? I mean, right. whether it's a counseling situation, you know, and... Um, you know, or, or just you're talking with a friend and they're distraught, they're falling apart. Maybe they've said that prayer, they're, whether it's pride or disappointment, but it's just an encouragement to be that voice saying, hey, I get it. I understand how you're feeling, but God is working all things out for your good. I know that God seems like he, he's lost his watch right now, but there's a perfect time and a perfect end to this. Mm-hmm. And um, their appeal is just so sweet. Mm-hmm. And it really... Their little appeal changes the course of this man's life. Right. Yeah. Because right. God is just being awesome all the way through the passage. Yeah. But will, will Naaman let God, you know, will he partner with God? Because he's he's got to get, he, his feet have to hit that water. That's you know? a really good, I think, interesting point, too, is that 
at the beginning of the story, we know that the Lord is working in Naaman's life. I mean, it says God has been giving him victory. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he doesn't know God, you know, he doesn't know the God of Israel at all. Um, but but he has been giving, given, giving <laughs> Naaman these victories. So we see God working. And then he starts to shift and change circumstances in his life. But there does come a point when Naaman has to partner with him. He has to obey. He has to do what God is asking him to do. That's right. Which I think is is such another really important lesson to pull from this story. Yeah. And I think, too, the, the story kind of broadens... It really challenges, but it broadens our understanding of God because um, so often in the evangelical church, blessing equals God at work. Hard circumstances and or suffering equal the devil. <laughs> and and I know that that works really well when we want to keep a disinfected theology and you know clear lines of, of dark and light, but throughout Scripture... You know, um, God brings hardship in people's lives to awaken them, um, to turn them around, to get their attention, to drive them to himself. I mean, look at the children of Israel, you know. Well, the devil's got them out there. No, the devil doesn't. You know, God is taking them to the promised land. um, And the afflictions that they suffer as his people, as they're disobeying and wandering and grumbling, I mean, they're the Lord. The, the devil's not running around and, you know, yeah. making the Israelites. So it's just, you know, uh, I know Piper and Keller and a lot of others have talked a lot about theology of suffering and how um, we got to be careful not to run away from suffering and hardship and long periods of waiting. You know, if we believe the scripture we profess, God is working all things out. Mm. Um, just, just to name one. Um, well, I think in this story, God's doing it, yeah. yeah. And in this story specifically, you can see that um, that just the the role that we do play. I think, and I, for me, I think that's just important to, to to know that as a Christian, as a believer, because you know, I think a lot of Christians believe that, or maybe some, I don't know, believe that, you know, we, that God is so sovereign, which he is sovereign, but that, that means that we don't, we don't play a role in this story at all, but that's not true. We do play a role in it. We play a role, a very much a role, especially in our own story, but even in the bigger story, we play a role. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, he's, he's doing and and you know he Naaman never ever had to get leprosy in the first place, um, or God could have just healed him, you know, but he chose this way for a reason. That's right. Yeah, and, and I think too often we get caught up in the cause, like well, was the leprosy God? Was the leprosy, you know, a, a virus that came from a fallen world? Was was the leprosy from the devil? It doesn't, you know. He has leprosy. <laughs> Okay, he's just got leprosy. Let's just start there. But you're right, and our participation doesn't in any way undermine the sovereignty of God mm-hmm. because the sovereignty of God, or the the sovereign God, 
invited us in. Right. You know, the sovereign God says, go into all the world and make disciples. The sovereign God says, bear one another's burdens, proclaim me. You know, so that's where that comes from. Yeah, the sovereign God has said, hey, we're doing this together. We're, now, I am the Lord. The power is mine. I will convict, heal, save, but you guys are your heralds, your apostles, you know, your messengers, your servants. And, um, man, just to see these servants step up like this and play that little role and look at where it ends up with God just working wonders. And then you think about the influence of Aram now going back to Syria. He's following the God of Israel and the influence. The influence of Naaman. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you very much. But yeah, the influence of Naaman right. now, he goes Love back and he's like the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, with Philip. Right. A, a changed man's going back who's on the side of, um, uh, you know, the God of the Bible and he will influence and, yeah. And then in Luke, and you pointed this out in your sermon, Luke and in the book of Luke, Jesus actually mentions Naaman and says, you know, many were afflicted with leprosy but only one was healed name in the syrian yeah yeah so G- yeah jesus points centuries later jesus points to naaman as an example you know um hey here, here's a guy who encountered the lord in power and he was syrian you know um but he, he's if nothing else jesus is is pointing to him as an example and as we ended you know this is kind of the wrap-up yesterday um, is when you take a look at Naaman, I mean, what, what, why did Jesus point him out? I mean, why refer to him? What did Naaman do? He wasn't perfect. You know, he overreacts, he underreacts to God. Um, you know, he gets angry, he storms off in a huff. Um, but, you know, in the end, he, he listened to godly counsel. He listened to Elisha, he listened to his servants, and he said yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it, it's never any harder than that, you know, yeah. that we're not going to have a perfect story. But uh, So just to contrast on for a minute with Elisha's servant. Gehazi. Who ends up right where Naaman started. Yeah. And not only him, but all of his descendants. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Which feels a little harsh. <laughs> Yeah, that goes beyond you and your mama. Yeah. Right. Everybody to come. Right. It's yeah. going to be afflicted with leprosy. Yeah. That's, that's definitely harsh. And if nothing else, it, it shows that, um, you know, being an insider is not a free pass. You know, oh, well, I'm in church. I'm all good. You know, I listen to sermons, go to small group, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm even kind of connected to somebody in ministry. It's not enough for each individual. Um, it's it's a heart journey with the Lord. It's about obedience, humility. I mean, was he just so corrupt that that? I mean, you know what I mean? Cause yeah. It, it kind of. What is I, he? I rem- think you have to ask yourself why. I mean, like, why was God's judgment on him, on him so harsh? Well, does Gehazi remind you of anybody in Scripture? Um, because that that's one of the interesting things about chapter 5 is that a number of the characters have almost it's they're like 
parallel identities throughout Scripture. Like the girl is very much like Joseph. Gehazi is remarkably, and and by the way, Elisha is kind of a Christ-like figure. Mm -hmm. Um, Gehazi is remarkably like Judas Iscariot. Mm -hmm. You know, Gehazi's connected to Elisha. Uh, Judas is connected to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gehazi's kind of in the background, you know, enjoying the, you know, kind of the, the 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 fringes of the spotlight, much like Judas was. And when money comes into the picture, of course, Judas goes for his silver. And actually, that's what Gehazi got from Naaman is silver. Right, yeah. And, um, you know, it just demonstrates... You know, you just see corruption from somebody has, who has really no excuse for it. And even despite the call away, right. don't give it. Gehazi, where have you been, said Elisha. Right. I haven't been anywhere, my master. Right. It's the same. It's very Judaesque. He was very set on the path that he had chosen. Yeah. He went after, you know, he went after Naaman and he lied. Right. He brought the silver back and then lied to Elisha. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he was very very set on that path, on that journey. And he had chance to to come clean. Right. And he chose not to. And, th- and that line about you and your descendants, by the way, because we laughed about that being harsh, but that can also speak to the end of the line. Like with, you know, it can mean, um, yeah, it certainly can mean you and anyone in your family, but it can just mean your family line stops with you, you're dead. Oh. You know, so it, it can just be a note of finality as well. But, um, you know, it's funny because people so often talk about the judgment of God. Um, Well, judgment is final. Judgment is death. Judgment is the end. Mm -hmm. And so so often when people bring that up, it's it's not a case of judgment. It could be correction. It could be calling people to repentance. Um, But this is a case clearly of judgment in the Old Testament where, yeah, it's over, you're done. You know, like Ananias and Sapphira and Acts. So... Yeah. Yeah. Any takeaways for you? Just any encouragements or? Yeah, I think I think the first one is just the servant girl. You know, to whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. I mean, it'd be hard to picture a worse circumstance than you know being kidnapped and and made to become a servant. Like today, you know, especially in today's. You know, so no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, that, you know, our God is always with us. He never leaves us. And we can still be a witness to him for him. You know, like our relationship with him doesn't change. He doesn't change based on what circumstances we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. So that's the first one. And then for me, the the big takeaway, though, the bigger takeaway is, you know, just that... um you know, we're on a journey. It, this is a journey just like Naaman was on, and it's not going to be perfect or pretty the whole way through, but as long as we are able to stay humble, because in the end he did humble himself and listen to his servants and do what was asked of him to do. So I think, you know, that to me that's a big takeaway, to to be okay with the messiness of the journey, you know, when we react oh, the way we don't want to react or, you know, when we see our sin, when we see our reaction, when we see our flesh, when we see our pride or 
whatever it is to just course correct. It really is that easy, you know, and it's not that easy, but it is that easy. Um, and that just that God's grace was there for Naaman. I mean, he didn't, um, you know, he didn't have one chance to do the right thing. So that's my yeah. big takeaway. Yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, I drew great encouragement from the same thing that we don't have to get it just right. You know, yeah. this is not about perfect steps. We're going to make mistakes in life. We're going to break our own hearts and, and um, you know, at times do the wrong thing. But it really is about, at the end of the day, will mm-hmm. we look up to Christ? Yeah. You know, will we say yes mm-hmm. to His Word, to His ways? And I I was encouraged by that. I, th- I think, too, the other one, and you alluded to this with the servant girl, it, it's actually with all the servants in the, in the story really struck me. Um, you know, Elijah, Elisha, excuse me, Elisha is, is really a servant of the king, a servant of the Lord. The uh, Naaman's servants, the servant girl, um, apart from God, they're the heroes in the story. Um, they really are the heroes, and they don't try to be the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And well, I've got to convict you. You know, Elisha doesn't claim he knows exactly what's going to happen. He just says, hey, the Lord will show up somehow here. I know it. But that they all just demonstrate this faith and this belief. They don't overreach. They don't try to be something they're not, bigger than they are. They just humbly walk with the Lord mm-hmm. and um, step into whatever moment, say whatever the moment um, calls for uh, on behalf of God. And it's just incredible what God does at the end. So I felt really encouraged to be that type of servant, mm. you know, just... You know, mm-hmm. Steve, you're not here to save people. You're not here to convict people of sin. Shepherd, love, speak the truth, hang in there with people, um, keep pointing them to the cross, keep pointing them. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was really encouraging. That's good. Good. All right. Well, um, hey, join us next week when we will review, uh, I mean, talk about Pastor Mark's sermon. <laughs> Um, I don't know what it's about yet. Do you, Harrison, have any idea? Okay. I don't know. Is it Josiah? He's preaching uh, it's on Josiah. Josiah, yes. Yeah. Okay, so the technical crew has discerned that he is preaching about uh, Josiah. I'm the technical crew. Which is a, yes, you are, for, for just a moment. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll be talking about Josiah and, and just looking back over Mark's sermon. We'll look at the Word a little bit together and um, hopefully encourage you and keep digging deeper together, right? God bless. God bless.